Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of the Voices of E-Learning show uh, supported by MarketScale. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall, and with me as always is my co-host, Lena Marie Salat. How are you doing today, Lena? Great. Excited for today's episode. Excellent. And on today's episode, we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, whom we have had the pleasure of connecting with uh, both offline and online. She is a, a friend of both of ours and uh, now going to be a friend of the show and hopefully a repeat uh, guest for us this year. Um, we've been following this guest uh, for the past couple of years on her uh, amazing social media and the content she provides to the education community um, and is really taken off in recent years. Uh, so our guest today is Anna Murphy, uh, who's a former educator, has worked with uh, various ed tech companies throughout her career, and now is the founder of the EdTech Incubator. Uh, so let's kick it off. And um, Anna, if you could start just by telling our audience, who are you and what do you love about what you do? Oh, that's a good, I like that question, but I'm Anna. It's nice to be here with both of you and with all the listeners. So as you mentioned, I'm the founder of the EdTech Incubator. A little bit of background on me is that I started off working in the Boys and Girls Club when I graduated. I had no idea what I wanted to do and I thought education. So I just got a job there, was working with building out their after-school programming and their summer school programming, teaching the students. And then I even had a short stint with Portland Public Schools, helping them build out um, after-school curriculum for English language learners, primarily from the Middle East and North Africa. And I was happy with that. And I thought like, hey, I'm going to go full-time into teaching. But at the same time, I was out there applying and I ended up getting an internship at an ed tech company. It was like a short three-month internship. So I was like, okay, I'll take it fell in love with it, managed to kind of end up on their marketing team and have been hooked on ed tech marketing ever since. I don't think, I mean, I love marketing. Don't get me wrong. I don't think I could do it if it wasn't for an education or ed tech company like that. The mission is what really drives me in getting to reach that core audience of educators. So I've been in ed tech marketing for close to eight years now, I want to say. And a couple of years ago, I started posting on LinkedIn and it was very small back then, but I started to notice that I was getting a lot of traction when I was talking about the value of hiring people with education backgrounds into ed tech companies, which is my background. And it's also indicative of all the teams that I've built and why I think the teams that I've managed have been really successful is because we got our audience. So Fast forward to now, I now have my own thing that I'm doing where I provide marketing consulting work for companies. I bring on teachers who are looking to transition as subcontractors, and I also do marketing job training and, and other services for teachers. But what I really love is that every single day I'm getting to connect with teachers, and I have a transitioning teachers Facebook group where there's close to 2,000 members now, and I get to be like a little bit of a fly on the wall. Um, of course, I participate too, but I just feel... I've never felt more connected to the education community and with teachers. And that to me is what's always driven me in my work. And so I feel like I'm really getting to live that now. And so I just like so enjoy getting to connect with so many teachers every single day on LinkedIn, on Facebook, over calls too, and uh, get to work with them. So it's just a really rewarding experience. And I think that that ties us perfectly in with today's topic, and we really want to dive in and discuss the teacher crisis, what we're seeing on all fronts of the teacher crisis. So um, what do you think has been the biggest, I guess, um, unleashing of the teacher crisis in the last few years? Oh, gosh, I there are so many things, but I mean, teaching has always been really hard, I think. For me, when I was looking into going into teaching full-time, the biggest barrier to me was the pay because I was slammed with student loans. I didn't go into school thinking I was going to go into teaching. I was in a totally different direction, took on all of these student loans from study abroad that made sense for the direction I thought I was going. And I just think that with COVID and and I mean, I think it always comes back to that, but teachers were suddenly working from home. I think for some, they loved not having to commute. Like some of the people I talked to, they're like, that was such a treat. I want to work remotely, but they're not going into virtual schools. So there's clearly still something 
within education that's like it's not offering them another like they don't want to stay even if they could teach virtually so I think part of it was like with COVID working from home I think that there's a general lack of respect toward teachers um and I have some theories as to why I don't necessarily need to get into them but I think that teachers are realizing that they can go elsewhere be paid their worth be treated like an adult and be able to provide for their families better, be able to provide for themselves and also be able to grow. A lot of the teachers I talk with are like, I just, there's no, I've hit that peak in my career in teaching. There's nowhere else I can go, right? Like, and they, they want to grow. They want to continue to learn. And so I just, I think that there are other careers that are offering that to them, but I really do think like the core of it is currently how we're treating teachers and they've become unfortunately the the battleground where a lot of like political fights are playing out teachers are getting blamed and they're they're collateral damage at this point and it's really sad to see because it's such an amazing career obviously we need teachers we want teachers I want people to stay but it's not my job to try to convince them to stay and that would also be deeply unfair of me but I, I think that there are some serious issues within education, that it's a system that really needs reworking. And I don't have the answers for what a better system looks like by any means. Yeah. And I completely agree with you exactly what you're saying with the lack of respect. Um, I've actually covered a lot of this content in my own YouTube channel. I'm just talking about what we do is a lack of support for teachers. They have a lack of support from everything from the complete foundation of where they begin um, all the way to exactly what you're saying. Like you hit a wall. So for me, I had the same, same story. I won the financial things. I was tired of working hundred jobs to be able to support that, or to be able to give my students a class party. Like, why is that coming straight from my funds to this for something that's required to do while it's fun and things like that? It shouldn't come straight from my pocket to be able to be providing for them. I shouldn't be having another job to support what I'm doing in my job. If that makes sense. Um, and yeah. then I think when we think about that support structure, I think what happens, what you're saying is teachers just don't feel respected. You sit at a staff meeting, they tell you what to do. They give you a brand new set of curriculum. You go over it for 15 minutes, and then you're supposed to go and deliver really high quality instruction for students where there's no, there's no scaffolding. There's nothing that's like throwing a house together without anybody knowing what to do. Um, and we see that in jobs when teachers do transition, the first thing that they say is like, oh, I feel supported because they have training. They have weeks and weeks and weeks of training. I mean, I just transitioned myself. There is four week period of just straight training and being able to support me and showing me the ins and outs of everything. As a teacher, day one, you have everything you get, you come a week before school starts and bam, you're ready to go. And you should already be doing back to school conferences with teachers and, you know, with your parents. So it's just a lack of support, I think, structurally all around. So it, it also smashes their voice. Would you agree? Absolutely. I would say like, I mean, not only do they get training when they leave and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, but they're also given the opportunity. I mean, I'm in marketing. So obviously my perspective comes from marketing, but the teachers that have come on my team, like they're given a ton of trust and it's like, let's, let's try this campaign idea that you have that maybe seems crazy, but it like could just be the crazy that works in marketing. And it's, they're like, oh my gosh, like I actually have like the freedom to like set my schedule to like choose what I'm doing during the day, right? That they're like, they're, it's like that being treated like an adult. And I, I think, you know, I've talked to people, like, I think we deprofessionalize the teaching profession, if that makes sense. Like I think a lot of people, and I think it's indicative of actually what's really broken about a lot of ed tech is that especially now it's, there's so much money in it that everyone wants to get into ed tech. And they're like, I could build a product that teachers use. I was a student once I get it. And it's like, no, you don't. Like if you have not stood up in front of a group of students and delivered curriculum, first of all, it is the most terrifying experience. They're like staring at you. They're judging you. Nothing you will do will ever be good enough, but we deprofessionalize the work that teachers do. And so it's, I think, and I think it even happens in schools. It's like, and you know, principals are super busy. I get it. And I, but I think there's like this, there's just this lack of respect toward teachers as like adults that can make their own decisions that can work creatively and effectively. 
obviously we want the curriculum that's delivered to be consistent across students. So I get it to an extent, but I think teachers, when they leave are like, oh my God, I'm being treated like the adult that I am, like the, the smart, intelligent, creative person that I am and get it, being given the space to do that. Great. And I think, I think we both are very much advocates for, obviously we want teachers to stay in the space, but there's yes. something, there's something just foundationally wrong. There's always been a crack, um, kind of like an earthquake. There's always like a fault line, but eventually the fault line grows. And that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing a bunch of people kind of jumping off and figuring out that I think what the pandemic did, and I'm, I'll be curious to see if you agree, was it kind of opened teachers' eyes to what else is out there because for the first time they could breathe. They could be like, they're exploring different ed tech products and they're like, oh, wow, I never thought about this. And then now they had the time, they started spending time in um, networking more by joining LinkedIn or spending time on Twitter. And all of a sudden their eyes started to open and they're like, oh, wow, there's so much more opportunity for me than just this. And actually now I'm starting to share and collaborate with teachers internationally. Maybe I'm presenting at a conference at home, um, just, just a little bit more flexibility in their work life. So I think, I think that like, like I said, it was the fault that was ready to, to open up. Yeah. And I would say too, it's like, I, I love that analogy of the fault line. And then it's like, they're getting this opportunity to explore. They're using more ad tech products. So like, this is really interesting. Like, this is such a cool product. They're learning more about those companies. I think a lot of companies also started going direct to teacher in the pandemic too, because they were offering their stuff for free. So I also just think it changed the conversation. So suddenly teachers were a part of those conversations and, and getting a little bit more autonomy to make decisions about what products they were using. And in doing so, they were learning about these products and how they come to market and how they're developed. But I would also say when they went back into the classroom, there's so much anger, I think, in the U.S. right now. But teachers were ground zero for a lot of that. Like the mask debate, it really came like it was it came to teachers' classrooms, right? And they're dealing with like angry parents on both sides. There's like curriculum of what should be taught and what shouldn't be. And again, it's the classroom that's ground zero for that. And I think like they were the recipient of so much of that anger that just came out of this like feeling of hopelessness in the pandemic. So I think like not only were their eyes open, but then they came back to the situation where it felt like they were being accused of being the villain almost. And it was just like, I'm, I don't need this. Like I'm not paid enough to want to stay here and do this. And I think that it just, a lot of people hit a breaking point, understandably. I agree with you though. Of course we want people to stay like the national guards going in and teaching in some schools, not a sustainable solution by any means, but I think that it's a broken system and no one should feel like they have to stay to try to fix it because it's too big for one person to be able to fix, right? Like there is something structural that needs to change. And we'll save that for another episode exactly. of Voices of E-Learning yeah. to talk about <laughs> the structural issues, right? And I, and I feel a little bit like the odd man out here because I'm the only one in the three of us that has not been in the classroom, um, though my mother taught for over 40 years and that's my passion for education. Um, and I know we can't solve this structural issue today, and we do want to get to helping teachers transition and, and what they can do in the meantime, but I do want to make sure we cover all points um, on this episode because this is a tough, tough topic, um, and hopefully our audience appreciates that we're trying to tackle it openly and honestly and authentically. Um, my question, probably for both of you now, since you're both former uh, educators, would be what advice or tips would you have for maybe at the principal level maybe at the district coordinator level, not to structurally fix the whole system, but what, what could they do either yourselves, what would you have appreciated or in all the conversations you have to, to make it a little better for the teachers, to give them a little more support, to give them um, some additional planning periods or time off, or, you know, I know it's, it's a tough, big problem, but what are maybe some little things that any of the principals and the administrators listening to this episode could take away to to at least be a band-aid to help in the short term, maybe keep teachers around a little bit longer or keep them around until maybe some larger systemic changes happen. Um, there's gotta be something that more that, that we could be doing. I would say from my perspective, cause I was at the boys and girls club, like that, that's my experience. I was never, it, I think 
for me, like I was just thrown into it. Right. And was so completely over my head, like lesson planning, designing curriculum, meeting with teachers at the local schools to figure out what like they were learning, where certain kids needed that extra intervention and like really trying to develop curriculum to fill in those gaps. I had zero training in that whatsoever. And I was also dealing with very serious behavioral issues with the kids that were there. And I mean, it was very low income. And we, I mean, I remember a parent showing up who was like clearly on like some sort of substance when she dropped her kid off and trying to navigate that. I dealt with a kid who threatened to kill one of his classmates. Like it was, and I had no idea what I was doing, right? And I think there's a lot of teachers that are probably starting out now because they're having to recruit all these teachers. So all these people are going to the profession who are probably going to be similar to me who had zero training. So I would say training and support on how to deal with those like very serious issues and clear goals in terms of what success looked like. Because I think for me, I was like, oh, they're going to learn so much. And I realized by the end of it, that it wasn't about what they were learning, but it was about like the experience of being in there. And did they were, did they treat others respectfully? Did they treat were they treated respectfully and just trying to create an environment where everyone felt supported? Because I realized at the end of the day, like, yes, learning was important, but for many of the students I was dealing with, I just wanted them to feel safe for the six hours that they were with me, right? Because they didn't have that elsewhere. And I think training on how to do that would have really helped. And I imagine a lot of new teachers who are going into the classroom who don't have that training, it would really benefit them too. I completely agree with the training and support piece. I remember I did go in wanting to be a teacher and those types of things. And my first day, my student was sexually abused. I knew she was sexually abused. So I had to call. And um, at the time in Colorado, it was not anonymous. So you would know. And so here I am, a 22-year-old person calling on someone. Um, That's just scary. It's just scary all around. And you just don't really feel supported just even in that like small seems small, but really relatively large. I think for the administrative level and the district level, I think something that they really need to think about is when they were shifted to pandemic learning, they shortened the school week. So the school week tended to be four days of school and one day of really intentional planning. I think just having a day of intentional planning, kids don't need to go five days to get the skills that they need. One more day doesn't make a massive difference. I know I felt a lot of pressure to reach these specific goals for students, but I think having an intentional planning day is the support that teachers need. They need to be able to have the time. They can be from home. They don't need to be at the school site, sitting there having remote planning meetings. We do it all the time. My company's international, and I know that you've worked with international customers and clients. And, you know, you can work all over the world and produce really great content, really great goals, really just really strong foundational work um, from home. So I think being able to give them the chance to be home, I think, and kind of like just respecting their time, they could go to an appointment, they could do whatever they can schedule all these things and kind of breathe and feel like a real adult, go to the bathroom, you know, just things that like were very underrepresented in the things that you do on a day-to-day basis. But I think just that one small change could make a significant difference and being able to allow them to not only just plan with you have two teachers that you're building. Okay. You have an entire district of resources and teachers that you can fall upon. It's so much operates in such a small silo system. Why aren't all the administrators spending a day planning together and coming up with solutions? Because they do have a spectrum. You have the very high socioeconomic, low socioeconomic who are dealing with all kinds of different things on a day-to-day basis. Get everybody together and be able to really intentionally plan. Why is one teacher planning in a silo for their classroom when there are hundreds sometimes of other third grade teachers that could also help you do their lesson planning together? Instead of just everybody carrying the weight on their shoulders, let's spread the wealth. Yes, that would have helped me <laughs> so much because I again I had no idea what I was doing. And then I was making like at the Boys and Girls Club, it's like $12 an hour living at home. And I was like going into my dad's law office to like steal the markers that they had or like and like different supplies, printing things. And it was and I had no idea what again what I was doing. And just even having been better connected to the people that were even in the club I was in would have made such a difference. 
All right, let's transition one step now to all those educators listening that are still in the classroom and maybe thinking about or starting to search. Um, and before we get to some amazing insights and resources that both of you can provide on that transition, what else can they do now to kind of hold it all together? Um, and, and it comes to mind, I know it's been used many times in the during the pandemic, but like putting your oxygen mask on first before you like, uh, take care of your kids or your, you know, family even, or your transition plans, like how can, because mental health has become such um, a, a a big deal. And of course has gotten worse, but also it's this pandemic shown a light on all the mental health problems that and challenges that we just probably didn't talk about before. Um, how can we take care of ourselves so that we can be the best version for our, our current students, for our families, for our uh, prospects and transitioning, uh, potentially out of the profession. Okay. So one is I was talking to this transitioning teacher earlier this week and I just loved what he said. So his name's Raymond Patano. I, he's great. He said, he's like, I'm not taking my work home with me anymore. He's like, unless it's like a lesson that I'm so excited to plan that I, it would actually make me sad not to, cause it's like the topic I love or whatever. It's like, I'm not taking it home. Like does that mean I'm getting assignments back to students slower? Yep. But I actually have balance in my day. I'm spending more time with my family. And I think that that's a skill. Obviously it's especially important with teachers, but that's a skill anywhere. Like I used to always work way late into the evening. Sometimes I still do because I have to, but being able to be like, you know what? No, like I, I am, do not owe them this another late night. Like I'm going to spend time for myself or for my family. I think that that is huge. So I would recommend doing what Raymond's doing. Um, I would also say like, I have a Facebook group and I would encourage anyone listening to join. It's just called transitioning teachers. There's close to 2000 members now. And there are people there who have just gotten a new job outside of um, teaching. There are some who are just thinking about it. There's one person in there. I remember she's like, I have a three-year plan to transition out of the classroom. So like all areas of like, <laughs> and it has been, I think, a great community for people. I see the posts every day and there's like meetups that are happening now in cities for teachers in a district that didn't even know these other teachers existed there, right? And they're now friends and they're talking through that process together and there's just some community. So finding community, like again, that Facebook group's one example, but wherever you can find the community, I think is important with people who understand why you want to leave, why you maybe feel guilty about leaving and the anxiety you have about the process, because having that, I think is really important. I would say one thing is to just like what JW was saying, put the oxygen mask on yourself, like take a step back and think about what are the things that you can release? Um, like, like you were saying, Raymond said he was not going to take his work home anymore. That's a really big one. I think also thinking about how you can work um, smarter and not harder. So really if your school district isn't offering you the opportunity to network with other people in your district, I promise you other people want to do the same thing. So I would say, take that initiative to kind of do that. And I think it will make you feel in a better place. Like just knowing that other people are with you. Sometimes you go to the lunchroom, it's very, very toxic and you feel scared to be talking with other teachers. It just can just be a not healthy environment. So I think reaching out, maybe reach out to the district person and say, Hey, I, we would really love this. I bet if you speak up, they'll listen. They also don't know. They're so busy. There's so much pressure on their shoulders too, that sometimes they don't know what teachers need anymore. They're so far removed from, from that stuff. They have other things to speak to and answer to that. They don't, they just don't know what you need anymore. So I think just speaking up, I think that's an important piece. And if your administrator doesn't listen to you, there are other people that will be very much on board. Sometimes we feel that like you're, everybody's felt that they've had a very unsupportive administrator, AKA boss. Um, so step outside of that and find ways that you can make yourself happy. And exactly what Anna's saying, join a Facebook group. There are hundreds and thousands of people, not only looking to transition, but also looking to support each other. There's technology groups, there's social studies groups, there's groups for groups of anything that you want. So I think join a meetup, find something that's going to kind of bring you that sense of balance and take time for yourself. It's too, it's too much. It's, it's all you think about. It's all you dream about. It's everything's so just take a deep breath and everything is going to be fine. Just try to find a sense of peace, I think. And I'll just add one more thing to that, especially if you're 
um, not sure what you want to do next, but you love teaching and maybe you do want to stay, there are a lot of great professional organizations out there for teachers. And it's there's bilingual teacher associations, there's um, science teacher associations, and those associations don't just talk about science or you know bilingual education. They are also there to support you as a person and as a teacher. And I've had a lot of great conversations with um, leaders of some of these organizations that have said their enrollment has declined a little bit with the newer generations of teachers. And um, they really feel like a lot of them in, in leadership started when they were doing, you know, their teacher certification and they just have stayed in these organizations their whole careers. And um, for some reason, the younger generation is uh, maybe can find more information online just by Googling it versus being a part of the organization. But I would also recommend, especially to younger teachers or teachers newer the, to the profession, to get involved with some of those groups outside of your school and your district um, because they can provide those resources and support um, in a non-judgmental, you know, professional way. And it does seem like a missed opportunity for, for a lot of teachers. Um, I want to transition again now, unless there's anything else on this topic, to um, something that both of you, again, have successfully transitioned uh, into ed tech or outside of the classroom. Um, give us your best advice for those that are um, either thinking about transitioning or actually actively um, in the process of trying to figure out a transition. Okay. So my advice, and this is now really from my, it's from where I am now, I guess I would say like I transitioned a long time ago and it was a lot less crowded. <laughs> and so it, there are a lot of people looking to leave the classroom. So I try to give out very practical advice for standing out in that process. One is that get really clear on what you want to do. And that's like, don't even start with like sales, marketing, instructional design. Like what does my ideal role look like? What are the types of tasks and activities I'm doing? Figure that out first and then start researching the different positions. Um, talk to the people in your life who aren't teachers and figure out like what their job looks like, what they do, tell them about what you're interested in. I bet you they'll have recommendations for careers that you should check out. I mean, uh, I was just in a webinar last night and that's what um, Jordan Playfield, who <laughs> works with JW, so for me, that's what she was saying she did. Like she was meeting with her, I think brother-in-law and he was like, what you're doing or what you wanna do sounds a lot like marketing. That's how she even first started considering marketing. So talk to the people in your life. Um, and so from there, I would, so get clear on what you want to do and then start to figure out what the skills are that you need to do that role. And that's, I would read through sample job descriptions, reach out to people in LinkedIn who are in those roles. And there's such a great phrase of like, would you be willing to help? And people want to help. Like when someone frames that, like I'm always happy to hop on a 15 minute call. Like just ask them for 15 minutes of their time. I'm looking to go into marketing. I want to know what skills a marketer needs. Would you be willing to hop on a 15 minute phone call with me to help me out? I bet you majority of people will. So start having those conversations. And again, look to the people in your life that maybe have those types of roles. And then from there, it's really about building out your application materials. And so look at example resumes for the type of field you want to go into. So for marketing, look up example marketing resumes. I would also say take on some side projects with your district that may be aligned with what you want to do. So if you're looking to go into like ed tech sales, maybe help out with an implementation, right? Or if you're looking to go into marketing, be like, hey, I'd love to help out with the school's social media. I'd also reach out to ed tech products you use and say, hey, can I contribute a blog? Um, and they absolutely will take that free blog. Like, yes, it, you're probably not getting paid for it, but that, that's actually what I was doing. And that's how I got into marketing. And it doesn't take that much of your time. And it's how you build up that portfolio. And then from there, like you start applying, but like the advice that I would give, and I can go into like the actual advice for applications, but it's that there's a lot of noise out there. And I see this in that Facebook group I was talking about, like some people are like, I've applied to 500 jobs and I haven't heard back. And then a teacher comments and they're like, oh my God, that's so scary. I'm just about to start the process. Wish me luck. It, it's not that difficult. Like I, 
it is difficult, but if you're applying to five jobs and not hearing back, there's an issue with the resume, right? So it's like on both sides, when someone says it's so hard or someone says it's so easy, like it's somewhere in the middle, right? And it's about working strategically. It's, I was going back and forth with someone because they were like, it's the numbers game. I'm like, it's not a numbers game. It's a strategy game. And it's about networking and building those relationships. So look for the voices of the people who have done it and really lean on them, right? And know that there's a lot of noise out there and just keep your focus on like where you are, where you want to go and find people who have done it and follow what they did. I would definitely jump on everything that Anna said. I always encourage people to make a checklist of things that basically list down, literally sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and write down the things that you like that you do every day and the things that you dislike that you do every single day. It'll very clearly, the skills and things that you're doing every single day will really clearly tie with one type of job. You may really enjoy curriculum planning. You may really enjoy writing the newsletters and sharing content and that type of thing. You're really going to start to see things, the things that you like really highlight and match jobs and other industries. I like what Anna said about tying into people in your life. I think that's an important aspect. Everybody has different jobs. And even if you speak to three marketing people, three marketing people will have different experiences in their marketing roles. So it's important for you to kind of understand that there are variances, even in the job world itself. There's, there's lots of processes to marketing too. There's social media marketing, there's product marketing. What does that mean? You don't have to know all of those things, but it is important for you to get a really good understanding about what they look like. And then what Anna said, start getting those skills. It's not that you don't have the skills. It's that your skills, I don't know how else to put this, don't translate exactly to what it is in the, in the ed tech world. You need a little bit more skills. Like that's just how it goes. So you may know some marketing things, but you don't really know the marketing terminology. You don't know exactly how to put it together from a person's voice that isn't a first person story, I guess you would say. So like blogging, I love that example of reaching out to ed tech companies. Trust us, we want your stuff. So please reach out to us. We love to hear from your perspective because teachers love to hear from your perspective. So you can be um, an expert in those types of things. And something else that I shared with another teacher recently who reached out to me, a transitioner, was looking to get into customer success. Customer success is really about implementation and training of teachers really is. I know it's a lot of like the tech support pieces that you're helping with, but it's really lifting the teachers up to be able to better use a product, which is training. And if you've been doing flipped videos, you've been doing trainings at your district, you actually already have it. You just need to reframe it and put it on a portfolio so people can find it. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And you also, this is a big tip, don't have to spend thousands of dollars getting stuff. So that's why it's important that you nail down what you're really interested in. Because if you try, oh, I want to try marketing. Oh, I want to try instructional design. An instructional design tool is expensive. It's not like a cheap, it's not like, it's not like you go buy it off the Walmart clearance section. You put it in your cart. It is an expensive tool that people use. So try things out, get trials of things, um, I just think really dipping your toes in a lot of different places is counterintuitive to what you're thinking. You can always transition later. Once you get your foot in the door, you might be working in a sales team and be like, oh, I actually really enjoy this marketing piece. Oh, I really actually enjoy the customer success side. Maybe you enjoy, I don't know, writing the curriculum more so than you enjoy the other things. Then, then you have a place to go, a jumping off point. But if you, if you don't know, don't spend all your time in a hundred different places. And I was going to say too, like, I think a lot of times when you're like, you go into teaching, you're a teacher, right? So it's like, you're like, that is the career. It's so easy to move around in the business world that it's like, and they post jobs internally. So people all the time go from sales to marketing, to customer success, to implementation, to even like people have gone from marketing to the product team. Like it's, it's very easy to move around once you're in that world. So don't overthink trying to find the exact right career. Get specific on what you think you want. Drive toward that and know that once you land that position, you can go elsewhere really easily and it won't feel like a big lift or a big career change. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. And sometimes I talk with teachers and I'm sure you do too, where they're like, well, I want to stay in this job for the next five years. You probably won't. 
that's just like the reality. Like you will go in there and I, I think you don't want to necessarily have that mindset. You want to go in and stay for a, a few years at the minimum to like really learn. There's a lot to learn that you don't know. Um, but I would say like Anna is saying, you can, you can move around to other parts of the business. It's not like, it's not like a stagnant thing. Like you always have to be a second grade teacher for the rest of your life. It's not like that. It's, you know, you can become a principal or you could come, you know, sitting at the district office. It's kind of like you have more fluidity to move around and you'll also have better support to support you in those roles as you move around. So I think just really clear about what skills you do and don't want to do, because sometimes people are thinking about it and maybe ed tech isn't the right place for you to be. There's nothing wrong with that. No one said you had to go straight into ed tech. There are the same skill sets in many, many different industries that need your skills because you have flexibility, I think more so than anybody else. Love it. And I just want to add real quick, customer support is usually an easy way to get in because all you have to do is learn the product, which you might already know if you used it in the classroom and help other teachers. So you're just talking to teachers. And from there, marketing, sales, product development, instructional design, it just opens doors. Um, and then also networking, the power of networking, just put yourself out there. If you don't have a LinkedIn profile, make one. If you do have one, you know, listen to others, comment on their things. You don't always have to be posting every day. Um, but I will say as a hiring manager, if you are active in posting some content that's adding value to the community, that's going to help you stand out as well. I know in the past, uh, looking at, uh, you know, someone's Facebook, if you were a hiring manager, it was like illegal. For LinkedIn, it is a, almost a requirement, right, to have a LinkedIn and to look at that. So have one of those and then have as many conversations as you can. You'll learn something from everyone that you talk to, and especially people that aren't the hiring manager, just people in the industry, um, people that made the transition, and you never know, that conversation could lead to, you know what, I know someone who's looking for someone, and that's how a lot of these jobs happen as well, but you got to put yourself out there. Um, we have so much more that we can talk about on this topic, and so we are going to do another one of these for sure, um, but in this initial conversation, we really wanted to cover all bases and not just kind of hone in on one thing and just, you know, be upfront and honest that this is a very complex um, challenge. This is a systemic challenge. This is also a personal challenge. And so hopefully in today's episode, we've um, uncovered some of those things, brought them to light and um, didn't shy away from them and hopefully provided some value, no matter if you're an educator, an administrator, a parent, uh, whoever you are listening, that um, this is a real struggle for a lot of people and we all need to be supportive and we need to listen and we need to try to help each other out. So unfortunately, this is all the time we have for this episode, but I'm so excited for this season of Voices of E-Learning and having Lena as my co-host. Um, and Anna, thank you so much for your time and joining us today. Thank you. So one thing we wanted to add, um, even though Anna is no longer with us here on our episode, we wanted to add um, a viewpoint from what it looks like for a hiring manager. JW, although he has ties to the education field, he has a better tie-in and um, a better viewpoint to the hiring process. So I know he has a lot of educators on his team. So JW, can you, can you share a little bit more information about what it looks like for a hiring manager? Absolutely. And so as a hiring manager, and this is really both for the educators listening and for the ed tech companies out there. First of the ed tech companies, hire former teachers. Um, don't necessarily go in and try to like poach a happy teacher out of the profession, but with so many great qualified teachers that are looking to transition, um, let's keep them in ed tech. Let's, let's try to not have them go off into other industries if possible. Um, the, their value is invaluable um, because they have been there in the classroom. Most of them have used your product specifically and would be a great testimonial that could be a testimonial every single day that they work for you. Um, and they really bring that connection to your audience that you're trying to connect with. So if you don't have any teachers or many teachers, you need to get some. Um, and so I would recommend um, looking for um, those hires and, and especially um, for those you know, entry and mid-level positions. Don't think that they have to have five or 10 years or three years of marketing experience or support experience they can do the jobs. Uh, in the interview process, you can ask the right questions and get them talking about their skills in a way that you can be very confident they will be transferable. And I'll also say teachers are some of the most loyal employees that will 
you know, do whatever it takes to help the company be successful and not just working long hours because we don't want to do that because of mental health, but just the thoughtfulness that they put in and the passion they bring to the uh, normal working day is really amazing. And their appreciation for being a part of uh, a great company that still has a mission-driven purpose to help students or help educators or both. Um, it's just a perfect fit. So that's my soapbox for ed tech companies, hire former educators as some uh, mix of your employees. And then two of uh, those that are applying, um, I mentioned earlier, networking is probably the number one thing. Um, and then creating some of your own content um, and putting it out there shows initiative. It shows that you have your own voice and that you have a perspective on your experience and no one can take that away from you or tell you what's right or wrong, right? It's yours. Um, and so it, it doesn't have to be just putting your heart on a sleeve about the transition. Uh, I would recommend that it's a little bit more strategic and professional around the key learnings or the key things that you're seeing that ed tech companies could be doing better or that schools could be doing better, but having a, a real opinion on um, something that others would go, oh yeah, I've never thought of it like that. Or that's a really good you know, insight into connecting with teachers or something like that, that would perk my, my interest as a hiring manager to go, oh, this is someone that is showing up in my feed that is um, adding some value to the conversation. And I would want that person doing the same thing under the banner of our company. Um, and then finally, um, really for the ed tech companies, empowering those former educators and all of your people, especially if they're marketing, uh, as I'm a marketing VP, to create their own personal brands, uh, start their own podcast, uh, put their own content out there because it's a win-win for everyone. It helps them develop in their careers. There will be some spillover because they'll look at people, will look at their uh, LinkedIn profiles and see that they're working for your company or associated with your company. Um, but they'll also see that your company is supportive of your people and of their growth and development. And I think that's something as this hiring marketing is tight, uh, hiring market is tight that, you know, people want to see that they're going to be supported, trained, given opportunities to grow within the organization. Um, and then the final point, no job is forever. Um, so just get in where you can get in. Um, and a lot of times if you see someone at a company three, five, eight years, they've had two or three or four different roles every year or two in that company. So um, the stigma of you have to commit for 10 years to a company sadly, uh, to some degree, is no longer the case. Um, really, it is about adding value quickly to where you are. And a year to three years is probably more the average uh, lifespan of that role um, or that company. And so um, it, in some ways, it's, um, you know, gives me anxiety, but in some ways, it's exciting that there's always new opportunities and new doors opening that you get to continue to do what you love in different ways. Yeah. Lena? And I think, and I think on those, on all of those notes, exactly true. I think working in different ed tech companies and having done some of my own consulting work and things um, in other spaces, I think the most important thing I always say is if you don't have a teacher in your brand, you aren't going to work with teachers. Like you have to be able to have teachers to represent teacher speak, teacher talk. And no matter how long you're out of the classroom, I've been out for three and a half, almost four years now, I still am connecting with teachers and, you know, trying to understand exactly what's going on in the landscape. And so teachers, no matter what are always still learning. And I think that's a really invaluable thing that they can bring to the business. Um, and I'm sure GW, you know, this from your team of teachers that are there, they're constantly pushing themselves to be better and do better. And very reflectionary, I think too, sometimes in a lot of industries, you tell someone something and they they curl up in a ball and they're so upset. Um, but teachers really want that constructive feedback. It's something that we miss from the classroom. We don't really get that, but we can see it on kids' faces. So we are sort of getting feedback loops and it's really important. And it, and they'll bring those feedback loops to your business. Um, Hey, I really think we should do this and try this. And you know, they get the feedback or data points or, you know, a lot of us teachers are really data-driven and really want to use the company's data. So that's also something that they can bring to the table. Um, and then I just have one cautionary tale about sharing things on LinkedIn and sharing things on other groups. You really want to try to keep it as positive as possible. We know that you have hardships. We know it. Listen, we live, breathe, eat it ourselves. We have our own personal lives. We know how it goes. When you get too toxic, like going into the teacher's lunchroom, that feeling and doing that 
when we are hiring for our teams, we're going to easily be able to see that it's really hard for us to overlook that. And so I just caution, I know it's so easy to do. It's so easy to be like, oh, this person rejected me and oh, this happened. And if you're doing it in a reflectionary way, no problem. Just try to be careful. Make sure that you're always trying to spend as much of positive light as possible because everybody wants positivity on their teams. We know you have mental health things. We know that everyone struggles on a day-to-day basis. Those are all normal experiences for people. And we want you to be people, but we also want to make sure that you're representing your personal brand. Think about yourself as a brand. Somebody goes in, they look at you. What do they have to offer? If I see a melty chocolate bar, I'm not going to pick it up. Right? So you want to make sure that you're having, you know, you're the best chocolate bar in the box. That's really what you're trying to convince people of what you're able to bring to the table. So you have such great experiences and what JW is saying, be a personal brand. I know everyone says to create content, but do what feels comfortable for you. If you don't feel comfortable in front of a camera, don't be doing YouTube videos. Do something that feels comfortable. Maybe blog blogging is your jam. You're really, really great at really great at the copywriting piece. Do it. Use what you already have and take those student examples and things that you have, those samples and build a really rich portfolio. That's the most underlooked thing that people do. When you go to a meeting, let's say I'm JW is interviewing me for a new position and I come to the table and I don't really have anything to show for my work. If I had in this very, people are leaving the classroom, right? More than ever. If you have something to show of what you've been able to do and the initiative you've been able to take, JW is going to think, oh my gosh, this person needs to be on my team because I've been able to see how much initiative they've done on their own. Um, so those are just important aspects, I think, to think about in this job transitioning process. I love it. And my final thoughts um, to your point about posting the um, the rejection or the, uh, the the authentic, you know, tough parts of the journey. Um, I'll, I'll give you at least one time to do that. Um, hopefully some positive content and some positive reflections, but every once in a while, an authentic just this is really tough. I'm struggling. Um, maybe coupled with uh, a post uh, later on about how you've rebounded and you've you know built yourself back up. Um, I think it's okay to, to do that once or so. Um, it's when that's kind of the reoccurring theme of that's your message of every week posting something about the struggles and the challenges and how beat down you are. That's something that hiring managers would go, oh, this person is just really struggling, and I don't know if it's more of a risk on that person. Um, but on the positive side, back to why you should hire educators, in my experience, they have been pretty fearless in learning new things because as an educator, you're having to standards update and kids are different every year and you have to approach things differently. Um, I've seen people on my team that have no coding experience um, working on an email campaign and going, well, this thing doesn't work right. I'm just going to work to teach myself some basic coding so that I can make it work um, and take that initiative. That is not the norm necessarily with um, you know, people in, in ed tech. So I would say that, you know, educators have that passion for learning that will serve them well in whatever role you hire them into. Um, and then my final thought is the power of mentorship um, is finding a mentor, especially if you're new into ed tech in your first year, um, find a mentor at a different company outside of your own that's doing a job that you want to do next, or maybe even thinking two steps ahead. Um, and people ask, well, how do I, you know, get a mentor? I'm like, all you have to do is ask. Like, worst they can say is no. Most people are going to say yes, because the ed tech community is a supportive, amazing community. So find somebody that's, a, you know, a director of something. If you're starting out as a coordinator um, at another company, and they will take you under their wing and help you um, grow in your career. So, uh, and even if you're looking to transition, there are plenty of people like Lena and Anna. I know they can't mentor everyone, but there are others out there that would be happy to help you mentor in that process and in the transition because it's not just enough to get the job. You have to successfully transition into the job and you need support and resources um, inside and outside of your new company to do that as well. I agree. And, and you know, when you're reaching out, just be respectful and understanding that the, everybody, all of us, we help everyone all the time. Um, as much as we have the capacity to do so, we still have full-time positions. We have families, we have, you know, life outside of, but we want to help. That's why we do what we do and putting out content and things like that. So when you are reaching out, just be respectful and mindful that it may take us a little bit longer. Um, the more people have exposure to us and that's not anything to us, but they also want to be able to, you know, network with us. And we love that. We love speaking with all of you. Just 
don't just send us your resume and say, Hey, look at this, like really try to build a relationship that way. I know that a lot of the teacher transitioners that I've helped get, you know, help guide them and mentor them as much as I can outside of the classroom. They've all landed positions. Um, even most recently, um, Kelly hood, she just recently wrote a book about what it's like to transition out of the classroom. So I think just really building that relationship, like JW is saying that mentorship, that's important. Um, we want to be resources for you, but also be mindful that you just throwing in your resume in our inboxes is probably not going to build the best relationship while we respect the, um, respect the hustle, um, please give us just a little bit of context because we want to hear from you. We want to help you as much as possible. It's really, we're not trying to shame anybody or anything like that. Um, and I think the, I think also just a side note is JW and I talk about this a lot, but there's really a stigma about teachers leaving the classroom. It's, it's really like frowned upon. I know when I first left, I even wrote an article that I never posted about it, how I felt, um, even at conferences just a few years ago before this mass transition, I felt teachers kind of even looking down on me for that, um, for leaving. And now they're all wanting to leave. So just know that it's okay. Nobody, your students, somebody is going to love them just as much as you did. They're going to thrive and survive. And, you know, it's just a system that just needs a little bit of, you know, breathing room. But if you think about what we talked about here today, we've talked about that you can go to other positions within a company and thrive. So don't think about you leaving education as um, you're failing your students, you're failing yourself. You're actually taking what you've learned and you're able to bring that valuable skill set other places. Um, so I think that's what we've talked about a lot is just not having so much of a stigma around leaving. And if you choose to stay in that tech, you can impact thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of students with the work you do in marketing and product development and curriculum uh, instruction. Um, there are great opportunities to still have that passion for, um, you know, for students and for learning and, uh, and use it just in a different context. So uh, I would encourage everyone to, um, to explore all of your options. Um, hopefully we've uh, done a good job here as Voices of eLearning today of bringing different voices in and um, looking at this um, amazing, uh, great resignation, you know, transition, um, you know, pandemic uh, challenge uh, that has, um, you know, kind of come through here the last couple of years. And again, we'll have more hosts or guests on uh, later on to talk about even in more depth some of these topics, uh, because we want to really keep exploring them all. They're not going away anytime soon. Uh, there's a lot more work to be done and things to talk about. So, Lena, thank you so much. Um, Anna, uh, I know I had to leave just a little bit early, but thank you, Anna, so much for joining this episode. And uh, we look forward to seeing everyone again next week. Always, always keep learning.